Hello, and welcome to Core Women. My name is Dr. Summer Watson, and I'm the founder of Core Women, and I'm also an empowerment strategist for women. So if you're listening to this podcast to delve more into empowerment strategies, well, you're here for the right reason. However, Core Women was also developed because it's a special place that provides a unique idea of home for the hearts and souls of women. It's a place for us to share our strength, energy, wisdom, and authenticity. It's a place for women to find support and strategic empowerment ideas that will help support their lives. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Rachel Willis Sorensen, who is an American soprano. She has won acclaim internationally, and she is a regular guest at leading opera houses around the world. Let's get right into talking about your journey, Rachel, and welcome. Hi, thank you, Summer. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you probably a very common question, but how did you start as an opera singer? Where did your journey begin? That is a great question. It's true. I am often asked this question. It's funny because I remember basically the first time I interacted with opera as a construct. Um, I mean, I guess there are exceptions like Sesame Street, you know, there was the singing orange. There's an orange that sang the Habanera from right. Carmen. I remember okay. that. But I watched this interview. There was like a cable access show for young adults, like for, I don't know, like tweens even and I watched it when I was in middle school and there was a girl who talked about taking voice lessons and she sang some classical art song and I remember just being like really impressed and I tried to copy the sound she was making but I was like I wonder if I could do that you know it was really interesting to me because I have always been a singer you know since birth I feel like I just came out singing and I remember being five years old and sitting under a plumeria tree or hibiscus bush or something in Hawaii. My dad was in the Air Force and we lived in Hawaii. And I went to the park and I was sitting under this flowery bush and I was singing and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm a singer. Like I have, I can sing in a beautiful way. Isn't that funny? At five. So That's I remember awesome. telling my mother, like, this is a big secret. Don't tell anybody, <laughs> but I'm a singer. And then she started telling people and I felt really betrayed. Like, this is my oh. secret. Why are you telling people like this? Super funny. That's and then so she always was trying to talk me into doing things, but I, I kind of had, like, I was nervous about sharing it. I, it's funny, because I realize now I'm a complete ham, but I don't know, like, anyway, I just, so I started taking voice lessons later than was normal, I think. I mean, I have, I'm one of five siblings, and my parents were just building themselves up financially, and, like, they just weren't really in a position to give me voice lessons, so I sang a lot of jazz choirs, I sang choir and musicals at school, and a lot of contemporary styles. And I would considered, like, I considered myself a singer. I am a singer. And then I saw that clip with the girl singing classically, and I thought, you know, I wonder if that's within my body to be able to accomplish. And then someone suggested to me, you need to take voice lessons or you're going to wreck your voice. Because I was sort of screaming, belting without technique all the time and losing my voice like once a week. And I remember my mom found a group voice class offered in the Tri-Cities, Washington, where I grew up, uh, from this lady, Elaine Sherperell Burgess. Okay. And, and then I took like, I don't know, two hours twice a week for the, for a month or something. It was like this course. And, and it was like my introduction to voice lessons. I remember the day before the first one, this friend of mine who already took lessons, we were like on a bus. I think it was for a choir trip. And I said, I'm about to take voice lessons, but I'm already so great. What can I possibly learn? I remember actually thinking that, which is so funny what? in retrospect because <laughs> I had my first voice lesson and I was like, rude awakening. I have no idea what I'm doing. Oh my you know gosh, I mean? that's great. So I had to learn how to do it. And it was like, as a 
pop singer and as like I was on this these small in these small choral competitions I was always given like outstanding soloist award and I felt really celebrated for my talent but then I started doing classical competitions and I tanked like I was terrible I had no technique and somebody wrote in the the first ever adjudication I got from a classical competition the guy wrote this is Handel not Wagner because I was singing a Handel piece Right, and I was like, I don't know what that means, which is really funny because now I sometimes right. I think Wagner professionally, and it's like this whole different thing. Right. But anyway, sorry, this is too long a story just to tell you that no, like it's fine. No, I, I always thought it was great, and then I learned wow, it, there's a lot of work involved, and so then I invested myself deeply for years and years and years. I'm still in the pursuit of like the ideal vocal technique that can accomplish all of the demands of the new repertoire that I'm undertaking. So it's like a lifelong journey. And that is basically how I became an opera singer. I fell in love with performing. I fell in love with singing opera specifically for a lot of reasons. I mean, the beauty of the storytelling, this like one degree removal from reality because it's all song, the exquisite colorful nature of an orchestra live without electronic amplification, the voices themselves in the room, it's, it's magic to me. And oh. also I'm, I'm quite a cerebral person. So okay. to be able to... Uh, challenge myself and sing in multiple languages is a huge gift and it's just I just love it I love what I'm doing and that is how that happened yeah it's a phenomenal what you do I mean to be somewhat Thank of a you. linguist an actor a singer it's just phenomenal you've got all these skills and yet I can understand why it's a continued learning process because that yeah. each yeah. of those skills is something that you can hone. And so to be able to do that, you just have to keep learning, right? And that's what keeps yeah, it absolutely. really exciting too. What is the role or production that's had the biggest impact on your career thus far? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I sort of am lately, ha it's funny because you, I mean, you never know what's gonna really do it for you. How do I put this exactly? I was singing a lot of Mozart and my former management sort of thought that it was going to be easier to make a career in Strauss and Wagner, which is like really heavy, like really screamy. It's sort of rather exciting. It's more exciting and angular than it is beautiful and round. Gotcha. I consider myself to have more of like a lyrical round instrument. So it's right. not, it wasn't like an ideal fit, but I was singing all this heavy, heavy repertoire and it was getting heavier every season. And I was starting to suffer in the high a little bit. Um, the yeah, so, so mm -hmm. I was, singing all this repertoire and I was getting nervous like I don't I don't think this is right for me I had a couple of Don Giovanni's which is Mozart from early days like right. Mozart is something that a lot of people think you can only sing in the beginning of your career right and I sort of saw it as a transitional thing and I, I had a bunch of kids I had my daughter who was I mean a bunch I I think of them as a bunch but it's three I had a daughter and then when she was nearly two years old I had twin sons Oh, wow. So when I recovering from the twin pregnancy and like the first phase of life, with baby twins was so harrowing. And I went to the Vienna State Opera and made my debut there singing Don Anna and Don Giovanni. Right. And I thought I can't actually sing this anymore. And I had in the, at that time a contract to do it at the Met and to do it in London. And I thought I'm going to have to cancel these because I can't sing it anymore. Like it was so hard. Then I worked with my teacher. I got a new manager. He convinced me like, this is the, this is what you need to be doing. And I went and I had a smash, smash in Don Giovanni last summer in London. And now it's sort of like my thing. I mean, I realized next season I'm going to do it four times now. Wow. I'm being offered more Don Giovanni's all the time. Like this has sort of become, so that is the answer to that question. I think the role for which I am most known would be Don Anna and Don Giovanni. 
Okay. Which is also funny because it's not like a huge role. It's not like a show fest, you know, it's not the title role. Right. So it's kind of interesting, but I keep having really big success with that role. And it's fun to do. Uh, it's also weird a little bit because it's cast in a wide range of ways. So sometimes it's like really light voiced sopranos and I tend to be a, like toward the heavier side, but not all the way dramatic because I'm still doing this Mozartian repertoire. But I think that's opening other doors to me. And I would say, I mean, it's early days and it's funny because I, I basically say whatever I'm working on is my favorite thing, except I think this is the real exception. This is going to be my lifelong favorite project. But I'm singing Rosalka right now at the San Francisco Opera and it's right. like a little mermaid turned oh. into an opera. That's if in the end of the Disney version, like the prince didn't change his mind and go back to Ariel and she becomes a villain and sucks his soul out, that's the operation. <laughs> oh, wow. And you know, that's kind yeah, of funny. Yeah, so it's kind of like, I'm a comic book villain and it's my origin story. It's, it's great, right. though. The music is extraordinarily beautiful, unapologetically so. It's in this great, legible production where you can really discern the story. The psychology of every character is exquisite. And that my castmates are amazing. I'm having just the best time. And I'm hoping that this is going to be another calling card role for me, Dvorak Rusalka. Right. Uh, it's with something that Renee Fleming did for a long time. And gotcha. now she sort of changed her career. She's doing different things. And right. I would be really, really happy to, like, take up the mantle of this role. <laughs> right. That would be phenomenal. And, you know, it's so funny that you talk about the character of Ariel, Little Mermaid, a turn into villain. And, and, it, and it kind of aligns with some of like the Grimm's fairy tales or Pan's Christian Anderson. Not all these fairy tales always turn into these like happy endings. And some of them, they end up in going into bubbles and fading away into the ocean. And the Grimm's fairy tale, it's very raw and it's very, very unique, you know? And so each... I think that they used to tell fairy tales were not intended for children initially. I think the Grimm's right. fairy tales were like stories that grown-ups would tell each other when the kids went to bed to freak each other out. Like they were right. really intense, violent, often violent stories. And then right. if they sort of got watered down and then told to children, now the fairy tale tradition seems really like this, this sort of whitewashed Disney version. Right. You know, with like exactly more simple themes and less um, moral complexity. But right. the operatic version would be based on the time when it was more like horror stories because people didn't have television. <laughs> See what I mean? Right. So that's Absolutely. how people understand each other of grown-ups. Certainly it's for grown-ups. Absolutely. But I also, my daughter, my five-year-old, came to see all of Rosalka and she loved it. She could not get enough. She she talked about it every day. It was a really sweet experience to share with her. It's the first opera that I've done that she's seen 100% of. Usually I have them come to like a scene in a rehearsal with costumes so they can you know experience it somewhat or experience the orchestra because my sons really love the orchestra. Um, but it's, this was her first time sitting through the whole thing. She came to the final dress rehearsal, sat on my husband's lap, and he read to her the super titles. It was, it was sweet, and she oh, loved it. So I think wonderful. this is one for all the, this one for the memory book. Absolutely. And it's nice to be able to engage your family and see your, especially your children, really get engaged and really enjoy what you're doing. And so that's really precious. And thanks for telling that story. My next question is, um, what has been the biggest challenge for you thus far as an artist? Oh, good question. The biggest challenge, the biggest one. <laughs> I know it's a tough call. Maybe um, the biggest challenge, or let's put it this way. A big challenge that I experienced is um, coming to terms with productions where the director is 
either like not a great communicator about what their concept is or they sort of want to diminish the opera itself like they have a disdain for the art form from the outset that is so hard and I think a lot of times so they're, they're weird stereotypes against opera particularly in the United States people don't have any problem being completely prejudiced against it they will never have been to the opera but like a lot of people will happily volunteer that they don't like it and I always want to say, well, you know, which have you seen? Were, were they bad? Was it poorly cast? There's so many elements, so many conditions. But when opera works well, it's the greatest thing on earth, in my opinion. And right. it's like undeniably, objectively good. And even then, maybe you could say, okay, it's not for me. I prefer football or whatever. But it's just funny to me that so many people feel comfortable being prejudiced against. It's one of those things. I like to try to confront my prejudices as often and as aggressively as I can because I think it's important to be open-minded as an artist and just as a person. I think when you walk around interacting with other humans, how can we understand one another? How can we try to bring a greater measure of compassion into this psycho world? You know, that's something that really is important to me. But I find when I'm interacting with people, a lot of the time they just think they don't like it before they actually even know what it is, which is so sad. And sometimes I think directors approaching that prejudice they're like, I'm going to be the one to solve the problem. And they think instead of just making really quality work that respects the source material, the way to do it is to like put it in space and add like a techno ballet or whatever. There's always some weird element or like, let's do, everybody's going to be nude. Like I heard of this production where there were 12, how many, like a hundred women in massive fat suits that were like painted to be naked stomping for 12 minutes before the second act started after the intermission like what why why and the the director was really pleased with it he because people became enraged that their time and money was being wasted so by the time the actual music started everyone was so angry that it created like a really intense atmosphere in the room and i'm like yeah but it's so negative i don't see that as our purpose i want to help help people reach some sort of catharsis and help them alter their worldview to to encourage a more humane view of their fellow men that's that's my that's what I view as my purpose but yeah some people don't agree and I think that is the hardest part having to interact with directors who hate opera having to do their production like once I worked with somebody who I mean here I have spent months months preparing painstakingly preparing the native pronunciation and understanding of this really beautiful libretto. I can't say the piece because I haven't done it enough that it couldn't get back to the actual director. But the director said, I asked him to do something. I said, okay, where, at what point would you like me to move there or whatever? And he said, "Uh, you know, when he says blah, 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 and you say blah, 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 like he didn't know the words and he didn't care to learn them. And he literally referred to the text as blah, blah, blah. I found it so offensive. I was like, you know, I'm working really hard here and you're in charge and you don't care about this. Like that's offensiveness. So that I I think probably that is the biggest challenge. I can see that as a challenge. I could could see that as, you know, when I even question why they would bring in a director who doesn't know anything about opera. And then it's weirdly the kind of thing, there's not like a specific training for it. So it tends to be people who either come from the theater or sometimes it's like film directors even, but it's a different medium. And right. I don't know where you learn about doing it correctly, except by doing it. So often right. it just seems kind of like, I hate to say this, but like amateurish, you know, if a director doesn't understand how the music and the words interact, 
how we can't actually take things far out of time. I heard once of a director who was angry because he just wanted the singer to be able to pace the declamation of the text in a different way. But like that's a luxury you don't have in opera because you're you're married to the music. You know, occasionally there's you can take time, but mostly the orchestra is going. You know, you might sing the right note and say the right word, but if you do it in the wrong place, who cares? You know what I mean? Right. Wow. You know, and even if as simple as an example as if you go back to the the movie Pretty Woman, uh-huh. and you watch that movie, it's this big scene where he takes her over to the opera and he flies her from L.A. to San Francisco. And she's watching it and she first comes into it like, uh, you know, opera, oh, the glasses don't work, you know, and he's like, here's how to wear the glasses, you know, here's how to, how to watch it. And as she's going through the process of watching it, you see the change in her demeanor and you see the tears welling up in her eyes and she doesn't understand Italian, but yet she understands the interaction of the actors and the music and how intense and how important it is to these people and the, and the story. And as she's going along, you see the appreciation and you're like, wow, okay. That is, that is a very simple example. But with that example, you can understand, wow, this is impacting. This is important. This That's is so important. sweet. I actually have never seen that movie. And now I'm very inspired to watch it. Oh, wow. I know it's like an iconic movie, but I don't think I've ever watched <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, but right. it's perfect because I'm singing Rosalga right now at San Francisco Opera. I didn't realize it was that very opera company that I love so much. It, it but is. I want to tell you a story really quickly that I have shared on social media, but it's just short, but it was so meaningful to me. When I was 19, and between semesters of college, I was working at a subway <laughs> to pay okay. for tuition. And I was a sandwich artist. Glamorous. <laughs> hey, I worked at <laughs> the they had like this. Oh, yeah. We, you do what you got to do. You do what you, you know? got to do. I worked at Burger King for two weeks. Then I worked at the Gap. Oh, God. You do what you got to do, right? Two yeah. weeks. Burger King did not do it for you, huh? Well, you know what? <laughs> I, I have to tell you a quick story. Interjection here. Yeah, go. So... I was 15 and a half. My mom said, get a job, right? I went to get a mm-hmm. job. I got a job at Burger King. I absolutely hated the uniform. I knew I could do the job just fine. It was a brown polyester suit we had to wear way back when, right? And oh, so gosh. she's like, but you're not going to quit your job until you find another one. So I found another one. I went to the amusement park. Um, it's a, a beach amusement park in Santa Cruz that I, I grew up by. And so I got a job there and I loved it. And so I solved the problem, you know, I went from one job yeah. and then I got another job, but it was okay. And I worked there the whole summer. So there you go. Yeah. Yes. You do what you got to do, right? You do what you got to do. So Absolutely. your story. Well, when I worked at Subway, there was this, I had this initiative to help wayward youth. So there was a home for boys who had come out of juvenile detention for like petty theft, things of this nature. And there was a boy who had come from, from that home for wayward boys. And they like were, they gave him a job at Subway, but it was like weird condition, but he was probably paid less, let's be honest. I don't know. I wasn't really familiar with all the situation, but we had to be like warned that he was potentially like a semi-dangerous person. I don't know. And um, one day, so he was working there. He was plenty nice. We got along, whatever. And one day I was making the sandwich of this man who turned out to work for the like Argentinian ambassador. Okay. And he said he was, he was asking, he's like, you don't work here full time. Like, what is the story with you? Like, you're not a sandwich artist, (laughs) which is probably true of everyone who works in Subway. Let's be real. But I said, yeah, I'm studying opera. I'm I'm between semesters. And he was like, oh, well, sing me an aria. And I was like, I'm not going to sing you an aria here in the middle of the (laughs) Subway. Right. 
And my boss was like, Rachel, the customer is always right. And she sort of like forced me to sing for this man. I was so embarrassed. And as I'm de- declining to sing, then the boy from the work initiative, the, the wayward boy said, I hate opera. And he went behind the, the you know, they have like a semi wall and right. behind there's where they keep the other vegetables, and whatever. He went behind there. So I thought he was just leaving. So he didn't have to listen. And then I sang my little aria for the guy. I sang Quantum and Bo from Bohème, uh-huh. which is Musette's aria. I just sang like a verse of it. And people clapped. They made a big thing out of it. He gave me like a $50 tip. I was like, best day ever. You know, I thought, I thought it was awesome. And then I, you know, I didn't really think much about it. I finished his sandwich, rang him up. He left. I went behind the bar to get something. And there was this boy sitting on an overturned bucket with his head like hanging low. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Is something wrong? And he looked up and he just said, was that opera? And I said, yes. And he said, I've never heard anything like that. And I've never heard anything more beautiful. And he was like choked up. I mean, I'll never forget this as long as I live. And it's just for me, one of those memories that I cling to because people say they don't like it, but they don't know what it could do for them. They gave it a chance. Absolutely. I really think it could move. I mean, it's just the kind of thing that could really move you, but it has to be great. And a lot of it is not great because the conditions might be sub-ideal. That right. happens, for example, like we mentioned already, if a director hates the art form, like it's probably not going to be what it could be. Right. Absolutely. Now, repeat, like where you're at, you, you know, where you're going to spend your 2019 season. Are you going to be in San Francisco, stay in San Francisco for the year? Well, I have three more performances of Rusalka, and then next I go to Munich um, to do two performances of The Marriage of Figaro. Then I have about a month off in Kevin's because I have so much rough to learn for next season. Then I head to London to prepare Faust, Marguerite and Gounod's Faust for the first time. And those performances will actually be the Royal Opera House Tour of Japan. So in Tokyo and uh, I don't, where is the other city? Yokohama maybe? Okay. And then I go straight to Dresden for Der Rosenkavalier, and then I go from Dresden to Chicago for Don Giovanni, and then, I mean, there's so many things, it's crazy, eventually I'm going to wow. go to Switzerland for the Huguenots, and then to to Bordeaux for the Marriage of Figaro and Don Giovanni, and I have a, I have my first Paris performances next March, I'm going to be seeing Paris. a title in Paris. Congratulations. <laughs> excited to eat Parisian food <laughs> oh my goodness um, you have a schedule oh, it's in front crazy of you. wow yeah. okay. if you last question if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom what would they be listen to your gut trust your instincts and get to a place in your life where you can hear them which probably means turning tuning out sometimes of all the noise and trying to go as deep as you can within yourself I really believe that you already have all the answers, but you need to learn to listen to your own gut. And, and again, trust yourself, trust your instincts. If something feels like it's the right thing, then you should do that thing. Right. Great words of wisdom. Thank you, Rachel, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. If you would like to know more about Rachel, go to rachelwillissorenson.com and follow her on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. 
If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women Home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together. 